passage this morning is actually one of my uh, favorite passages in the book of James about how we speak to one another, how we speak about one another. And so in James chapter 3, we will be reading this morning verses 1 through 12. And in James 3, 1 through 12, it goes like this. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies and consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So, too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind but no one can tame the tongue it is a restless evil full of deadly poison with the tongue we bless our lord and father and with it we curse people who are made in god's likeness blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth my brothers and sisters these things should not be this way does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. Can you pray with me? Heavenly Father, help us this morning to speak in a way that honors you, to recognize that how we speak shows our need, but also, Lord, that how we should speak should reflect our Savior. Out of the abundance of our heart, our mouths speak. And so convict us, direct us, encourage us, and strengthen us this morning to operate in a way that gives you glory and honor. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so you need to know something about me. I have a love-hate relationship with church buildings. Love-hate relationship with church buildings. They can be a pain to maintain. And you might be, if you're Tommy McMahon, you recognize that right now uh, as we we're trying to do some work in the sanctuary. Uh, as we were plugging lights in and out uh, this past week, and you turn a light on, and the system goes buzz, and you're trying to figure out why. And then when you have a building, everyone wants to use it, and there's this thing, the, the coveted church key. It's like once you get a church key, all bets are off. It becomes incredibly hard to control what happens happens in the building once you start doling keys out. Because somebody will just text you and go, hey, the door was unlocked. And you're like, great. What do you want me to do about it? Did you relock it? Are you just telling me that? Do you have a log of who came in? Do you know whose it was? No, I don't know any of those things. I just wanted you to know the door was unlocked. Once the keys start to distribute, and they don't say do not copy on them, game over. Game over. And then you change the locks. But then once one person gets a key and then they forget or they want to get their spouse a key and they make a copy, they're just like rabbits. Church keys just multiply 
all over the place. And you can never really control. I wouldn't be surprised if we have twice as many keys around Spring, Texas, as we do members of Genesis. So we probably have 162 keys floating around the Spring area, and people can just come in and out. So this is this is my church key story. There was a time uh, in Baton Rouge where uh, I'd get there early, kind of had a routine. There was a group of guys who would help to get the building ready, and it was a larger facility. Um, and so we had um, we had lots of different locks and spaces. And so we kept a set of keys that opened all of these doors in a certain spot that we knew where to get to so that when people showed up, we'd give them an exterior key. When you showed up, you knew where to find the other keys, and you could go through the building and get them. Well, what happens? When a lot of people know where the set of keys is, then they go, oh, yeah, I'll I'll just go ahead and grab the keys from the church. Then when you need them, they forgot with their kind, intentioned heart to return the keys. So one morning, we were scrambling around looking for the keys. We couldn't find them. And then a friend of mine said, oh, I got the keys this week. I forgot to bring them back. And this is what I said to him after it was all done. Um, I just said, hey, you can't take the keys. He started crying. Grown man started crying right there because I said, you can't take the keys, bro. You can't take the keys. That was it. That was my phrase. And a six foot one, six foot two adult male started crying. He didn't cry because I said you can't take the keys. He cried because I, the pastor, preaching pastor guy at that church, said you can't take the keys. And that carried with it some significance. So then after that, I went to my friend another servant at the church, and I said, hey, from here on out, anytime something happens that I think is odd or I want to address, I'm just going to go ahead and run that through you because you're not going to make people cry when you say it. But it's true. Words, right? Words are a funny thing. Even though you choose your words and and it's how you use and what comes out of your mouth, they're a funny thing. They operate really oddly with us. We use phrases like, I'm rubber, you're glue, whatever you say, bounces off of me and sticks back to you but we know that's not true we know that much of our lives at times are directed by the way people spoke to us and the words that they chose to use with us and so we recognize full well that you might even be in a certain job You might even act a certain way around people because your mom or your dad or your spouse or your friends or your kids said something. And then after they said that thing, you said, you know what? I never want to hear that again. I'm going to change the way that I live. I'm going to change the way that I operate. I'm going to change everything about what I do so that I can avoid this interaction ever again. James knows this weight of words. He knows the power of words. The scriptures speak in many places of the power of words, but James is aware of what goes on. And we're going to see this morning what power resides in our words and then what does our actual controlled speech reveal about us. So speaking in a a godly way, and I don't by that I don't mean flowery language like, 
O sovereign, holy, gracious, powerful, almighty, amazing, glorious, stupendous, terrific God. I don't mean you have to have multisyllabic words all the time, but to speak in a way that honors God, that, that reflects your love for him and you're abiding in him, you're living in the way that he wants you to live, to speak in that way requires humility and understanding and ultimately surrender to Jesus. So as we go through this today, we're going to just see maturity, the power of our words, and then I want to give you guys a challenge as we finish. Just for a week, I'm going to give you a challenge. But this is the first thing we see in the first two verses, that controlled speech marks maturity. We start with this idea, and what I think James is doing is he's taking the idea of speech in teachers, because James is a teacher, and then he applies the idea of speech to the whole congregation. So through this illustration of teaching, he then will talk to all the church about how they are to speak to one another. In common James fashion, he's going to tell us something. He's going to illustrate something. And then he's going to basically say again, you can't do this. Right? James is always saying it, illustrating it, saying it, illustrating it, saying it. And so that's what he's going to do here. This is the challenge in verses 1 and 2. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. That's how you know he's not just talking about teachers exclusively. Because he goes, not many should become teachers. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is, does not stumble in what he says and what she says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. So what we have here is James using an idea in verse 1 to launch us into that broader application. And the first idea in verse 1 is you shouldn't become teachers. Teachers. Why would he start with that? It doesn't mean not many of you should become elders, not many of you should become pastors. Like, Not many of you should assume the role of people who sit in a place of being able to instruct in the scriptures. Which is funny because I think so many of us are like, I just want to teach. Now, not everybody. We're like, man, I just can't wait to get in a spot where I can teach. And James is even saying, are you sure that's what you want to do? Because if you do that, you will receive a, a stricter judgment. And James does have often throughout the entire letter this future coming of the Lord in mind and what comes with that. The words of those teachers, words of teachers reverberate strongly. You can hear them and you can feel them. And uh, that's why, and I know this about this preaching life, is that there are, for anyone who is paying attention, I'm not saying everyone pays attention, but for everyone who's paying attention, there are that many opinions on how I did, so to speak, on any given week. Well, what did you think about what was said? And what do you think about what was said? And what do you think about what was said? And what really matters the most is that the Lord is honored in how he is spoken about, but teachers have a way of multiplying their impact in others. And so if you teach incorrectly, that error is then multiplied in others. But then James goes from that idea and says this, we all stumble in many ways. He goes broad. And it's very encouraging, actually, to have James say we all stumble in many ways. Why? Because a lot of what James is saying thus far and throughout his letter is about how the church needs to operate in a way that honors God. They need to live in a way that reflects their Savior. Right? James' big focus is on how you live. Show me that you are 
righteous. Show me that you know the Lord. I want to see it in how you live. And then at the same time, James goes, I know we all stumble. And so he recognizes that we are imperfect, but at the same time continues to challenge us towards living in a way that honors God, which is what I love. And so he says, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature. There's an interesting link between what you say and your maturity, but you have to go back to Jesus to figure out why that is. So in the past couple of weeks, you have read, if you're going with us in the F260 plan, and I would encourage you just to grab it on our website. If you haven't started doing that, you can just join in right now. We're finishing the Gospel of Mark this week, and we're going to move back into epistles. Uh, it's a whole New Testament in a year. And so you've recently read, if you're marching along with us, Mark chapter 7. And in Mark chapter 7, verses 20 through 23, Jesus says this, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. Now the Pharisees were getting mad at Jesus uh, because they saw him living in a way they weren't wash they weren't washing his hands the disciples weren't washing their hands when they ate they weren't externally clean jesus in this phrase is saying it's not that that defiles you it's not your dirty hands that defile you it's your dirty heart that defiles you and that's going to be reflected in how you speak in how you speak you know a place that I don't like to venture to very often? Facebook. You know why? Because it's it's such an odd place to be. And I've been on it more because I haven't been around. I want to see what's going on. I've been able to see people face-to-face as often. We were talking about it right even before, um, before we started uh, this service. And I went, I'm not... It's odd because I don't think we see the connection between what we type, what we text, what we say, what we blog, what we DM. I don't, see, I don't think we often see the connection between how that's speech. That's, that's part of using our words. And that reflects our heart. It reflects what's going on in us. So if you actually have an audit of how you interact and speak and what you talk about, you'll have a pretty good idea on whether or not you are mature. Jesus says the same thing. It's going to be reflected right here. So then he goes from this idea, and he's going to move to the next idea to illustrate this idea of speech. He goes, our words, our words pack a punch. I mean, we know that. It's not that I'm rubber, you're glue. It's that like somehow if I, if I say one sentence, you can't take the key. There's such weight that comes from that. There are relationships that I have that have been strained, changed, and harmed because of a choice I made in one minute of words, 30 seconds of words, 15 seconds of words that you could speak life and be encouraging for 500 times and for 15 seconds you throttle back and you've undone so much 
Our words pack a punch. So what we see in verses 3 through 6. Now if we put bits into the mouths of horses, I don't know how many of you ride horses these days, um, and the pox are gone, so the, the big horse, this is like the horse illustration for John and Nikki, but that's just how it goes. Um, so if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, right, so we can direct them, we direct their whole body. And consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, large, large, right, these gigantic things, they're actually guided by a small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So these large items, and then he's going go to go to the tongue or go to your speech. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. Only you can prevent forest fires, right? And all the commercials of Smokey the Bear <laughs> were, uh, were him, where he was interacting with somebody, you know, they drop something, throw a cigarette out, don't put a campfire out all the way, and then all of a sudden, game over. Have you ever seen the Pixar movie? Or I, mean, I, don't even, I don't know if it is Pixar, but Planes, Fire and Rescue, right? Just campfires, game over, campfires, and it's done. James is giving you a clear illustration to show you what's going on. The tongue's a small part of the body, but it grows great, thi- but great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest, and the tongue is a fire. Just in case you were wondering, that what I mean is the tongue is a fire. The tongue is a world of unrighteousness, and it's placed among our members, the p- other parts of our body. But it stains all of us. And it sets the course of life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. So in good teacher fashion, James looks at an example from the world, verses 3 and 4. Then he speaks about bits and he speaks about pilots and, and, and ships. Then he moves to the tongue. And he says, the tongue, though small, boasts great things. A trash talker. Not only that, it sets ablaze a forest and is itself set on fire by hell. It's interesting, isn't it, that James would say the tongue is set on fire by hell because the tongue is a reflection of the heart. And without Jesus, we are rebellious and we are wicked and we are in great need, aren't we? Remember earlier in chapter 1. Humbly receive the implanted word that is able to save your soul. So the recognition that in order to be truly changed, there must be something that comes inside of us and takes root. This is New Covenant language. There must be something that comes inside of us and takes root, and then that changes us from the inside out. So the tongue is a fire. The tongue is set on fire by hell. That means that there must be something that changes within us. So... Did you know that J.P. Morgan, right, the investment or the bank, J.P. Morgan Bank actually looks at the president's tweets to see their impact on the stock market. They've actually created a kind of a, a way to look at the impact of what is tweeted and the movement of the stock market through a tweet. That's it. Elon Musk over at Tesla will tweet out, I think my stock's overvalued. And everyone goes into a panic, or he'll say, I think that 
uh, I'm going to take the company private, right? Just through a couple of characters, right? 240 characters, I think now is the Twitter limit. And there's, uh, people can find ways to destroy lives like that. Think about all of the bullying that goes on with just DMs, tweets, brief messages that we say to people. People have lost their jobs because of what they post online. People have lost their jobs because of what they've said that they didn't know was being recorded. And I'm not talking about cancel culture. I'm not just saying, well, we, we, we need people to look, just always look right, because that's, that's just going to catch you. I'm talking about the fact that we are not able as, a, as, as people to recognize what's really going on. Is that all of these little pieces that are acts of speech around us, all of these things are really a reflection of us. And when you compile them all together, what you say publicly, what you say in community group, what you say in D group, what you tweet, what you DM, what you blog about, what you say to your mom or what you say to your dad, all of these things compile the truer picture of you. You might be able to be controlled in one environment. You might be able to be controlled in another environment. But what happens is when you put all these things together, you start to see what's really going on. And you can start to see the significant impact of your words. It feels like there, every day there is an example of this. You lose a job. You lose a friend. You'll counsel a couple. And they'll say something like this. I, I, I shouldn't have said it, but I used the word divorce. I shouldn't have said it, but. All right, well, there's a heart. Shouldn't have said it, but. You can't get that one back, bro. Like, that's the thing that starts to happen. Oh, I'll just, I'll just go ahead and forget that that was really what you were thinking. Now, we can be forgiving and understanding, but we still have to be, recognize what's going on in us and recognize the power of such words, is that our words can have such, such significant barbs, and they cut deeply. And they reflect us. Your life might change for days or weeks or months or years. And you might change the way you think about yourself. Because of the words that you have used and because of the words that have been used against you. It's exhausting, isn't it? It's hard. We deal with this in our house and how siblings talk. I deal with this and how I talk to Courtney and how we speak to one another and about one another. I think sometimes we even use this like our marriage or our family or our closest friends. It's like, well, it's just really good to let my hair down. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's a dangerous, dangerous phrase. I just really want to be able to say what I really feel. Well, your closest friend needs to say there's something going on in you if that's actually how you feel. And so we don't need to have these places. I mean, we, we can be honest, but we need people around us who are going to go, you think that's really the right thing that's going on here? Or do you want me just to say, yeah, I'm really glad that you're angry and you want to destroy that person's life? Because we don't want that. And what's funny is our words pack a punch, but they also then do this. And this is where James is tracking. They show our real need. And James is going to highlight in these coming verses and the rest of this passage, this kind of, dichotomy or the difference between our our words and how they operate and what they should be doing especially for the christian so we'll start with verses seven and eight every kind of animal bird reptile and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind 
but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. These two verses show us that the tongue cannot be controlled, that it's a sign of a big problem in our heart, that you you can't just say, and this is what happens with the flesh, like, well, I'm just going to go ahead and not talk. Well, you can still type. You can still find ways to communicate, can't you? If you just go, I'll just stop talking. That seems to be the, no, not talking is trying to tame the tongue. But really, the tongue is just a reflection of the heart. And you can't tame the heart. Only the Lord can. So it's a sign of a big problem going on in our heart. And God has given authority to us. Genesis chapter 1. You look at the beginning of Genesis that he has said to Adam, I want you to have dominion over this world. The, the blessing or the, the command that he gives to this world to have dominion and to rule in this world, that we are created in his image and that we are there to uh, rule appropriately in a way that reflects our Lord. And James goes, well, it seems like we can do a part of that, but the part that we can't actually do is the controlling ourselves. We can train a horse. We can't train our tongue. It's restless meaning that it's always looking to say, do, or be something, and it is evil. Poison, full of deadly poison, means that it's looking for ways to cause harm. Poison is made to harm others. Our words do this. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Have you, have you been exhausted in your speech? And just feel like it's apology after apology? Have you realized that no matter how hard you try, you can't seem to speak in a way that honors the Lord? Have you inventoried your private conversations or your text messages or your social media posts? And have you inventoried just what might be going on in your heart? I think it's an important thing to realize that it's showing something about us. Now, James is going to then talk about, especially for the Christian, how this idea of taming is ridiculous. Like, there's, it's just ridiculous that we operate in this way. He's going to say it like this in verse 9. With the tongue, with our speech, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people made in God's likeness, God's image. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. Now, brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. And he's going to illustrate why. Does a stream pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Now, somebody's going to go, oh, well, I know in the marshes of Louisiana that you get saltwater intrusion into the fresh water and it's killing the trees. Like, I get it. Okay, we'll always find the exception to the illustration. In general, <laughs> ding, <laughs> somebody has mail. Does a stream pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Does a... Fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs. Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. Now, 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 this is the whole point. What James is saying is kind produces kind, right? So if, if you are a human, you produce humans. If you are a fig tree, you produce figs. If you're a grapevine, you produce grapes if you are a rabbit you produce rabbits and so we understand he's going kind produces kind and yet those who are made in god's image reflect blessing which should reflect our creator 
and cursing, which reflects our evil hearts. And so what he's saying in this is you, you can't have this world. This world is not right, right? It's showing something about us. The fact that we are two-faced, the fact that we have one side of us that seems to be able to operate appropriately and another side of us that seems to operate inappropriately, that very fact shows us, diagnoses that there's something wrong. It shows our hearts that we are incredibly inconsistent. So you walk in on a Sunday morning and you're going, Oh, praise the name. Right, your hands are up. Of the Lord our God. Then you see your friend Kyle. And you go, I cannot believe that ridiculous thing that Kyle posted online this week. I don't even know why he's here. It makes no sense to me why he's here. Oh, praise his name. Do you see what they are wearing? Forevermore. For endless. I am so tired of being here. Hans has rambled on and on and on. Oh, Lord. Right? Like, like we present some kind of super godly person in how we worship, right? Super expressive, super excited. All the while, we're sitting there going, can you believe how they parent? Can you believe how they're dressed? Can you believe how this happened? Can you look at them? They smell. They're annoying. Their kids are annoying. Why are we even here? You know what? Why do we even go to this church? The church down the road, they're way better. Their pastor's funnier. He's better looking. The podcast is cooler. There's so many other reasons. The worship is just baller. I'm, I'm sure that if we go to this church, we're going to really, really enjoy it, and everything's going to be consistent. No, right? Because your external environment doesn't change the heart. That's the problem is that you're operating in a way that makes you think that somehow if I control the outside, the inside will be okay. And that's not the case. And your speech is a direct connection to your heart. And it shows. James just goes, it shouldn't be this way. <laughs> that's his answer. These things should not be this way. Now, he's just stating the reality, but you can also kind of, right, can't you hear the Lord's voice behind that to say, if that's you, stop. Stop, don't, don't live like that. Don't speak like that. Don't, don't, don't live in a way that doesn't reflect the, your creator and the image that you have been given. And so thing number one, if we realize this is how we operate, is that we need to repent. Now, repent is a turning, right? And I always say it's a turning from to. So we're turning from our own wickedness, we're turning from our hearts that want to operate in a certain way, to the Lord. We're humbling ourselves and saying, you know what, I cannot live and speak in a way that honors the Lord. I can't do it, and I don't know how. It's been impossible for me. So you just surrender yourself and go, God, I can't seem to get this straight. Because there's something going on here and I need you. And actually, it might be that your speech shows you, even today, it might show you that you actually don't even know the Lord. Because, right, if you abide in him, you bear fruit. It doesn't mean, right, we all stumble in many ways. It doesn't mean you don't stumble. But it might mean, you know what, I feel like I haven't been able to control a thing. All I am is angry all the time. All I do is just want to curse people all the time. Right? It's like the person that gets road rage while listening to worship music. It's like, 
Right? Like, 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 oh, I just, I just can't, I can't fix this. I can change the surroundings, but I can't fix this. The only way to fix it is to go to Jesus. Because, and Jesus would get angry, wouldn't he? But Jesus' speech is never wrong. There's one person who hasn't sinned. That person is probably the best person to know when you're trying to contend with what's going on in your own heart. Well, go to the one who never did that. Surrender your heart to him. Now, with all this, I want to give you just a challenge. And I, we're not always too like those challenges, but here's your challenge for the next week. One week, only encouragement. Now, this doesn't mean like every conversation you have to find something encouraging to say. This is what I mean. You have seven days, right? So today through Saturday. What I want you to do is intentionally, intentionally, if you're a believer, I want you to intentionally speak to people in a way that reflects your identity in the Lord and not your flesh. So what do I mean? I mean, this is part of our training. It's part of our development. So take one week and intentionally speak encouragement to people. So maybe one day you just text somebody and you say, I just want you to know that I've been praying for you today, that I'm hoping the Lord uses you today, and that I care a lot about you. Right? Like three sentences. I remember, I mean, depending on who you are, certain words can, you, you get like 15 years of mileage out of that. I mean, so it's also just incredibly smart to be encouraging. But that aside, it reflects the Lord. So if you can just start to go, okay, God, I need to condition my heart to recognize what's, what's true, to live out my identity. Because so much of the scripture, aren't they being like, hey, remember who you are. Remember what's happened. Remember what God wants of you. So maybe one week you shoot a text. Uh, maybe one day or one day you call somebody. And you tell them you love them. Maybe another day you actually write a note. I know that people don't know how to do these anymore, but like it, you take a pen and you take a, a piece of paper and you use your, your hand and you mark on it, often the date, and you use some words to construct sentences and you put it in the mail. You have to purchase a stamp. If you need a stamp, let me know. Um, and I can get you a stamp because sometimes like, where do you get a stamp? What's a stamp? Um, so, right, that, that takes time. We write a note. Tell somebody that they're appreciated. Let somebody know not just that you're praying for them, but what you're praying for them. But whatever it looks like, right, those are just ideas. Whatever it looks like, schedule time each day to encourage someone. Now, here's the thing. It takes Five minutes to do something like that? Five minutes. And that's like if you're trying hard. If you're not trying hard, and I know it's behind a fence, but you got to deal with the only, you know, like the, the copyrighted images. and you gotta, So it's behind a fence. Pretend it's not, right? Social distance signs. But whatever it might be, say something to somebody that strengthens them. And do it just once every day this week. And I promise you this, I do. It might take you one, two, three, four, five minutes to do that. So let's just say it takes five minutes, right? Five minutes times seven, right? Thirty-five. Did I do my math right? Five times seven is thirty-five. Check me on that. 
Um, yeah, I know it's I know it's okay. I was just trying to be sure you were listening. Uh, five times seven. So so in the thirty five minutes that you take to do that in the given week, I promise you that you will have many many more miles of encouragement that come from that. The multiplying effect of being intentional about how you speak in keeping with your identity in the Lord is amazing. Now, what that might mean, though, is you have to be a little disruptive. Like, I don't mean, well, I liked their post. I clicked like. Don't, don't do that cheap stuff, right? Like, like, do real encouragement with real words. Not that everybody else can see either, right? Because then you're kind of already getting your reward. You don't want that. Do an encouragement that other people don't see. And it could be so small. It can be so small. But it's a way of, and the reason I give this challenge, is it's a way of revealing our hearts. The more exhausting that is for us might demonstrate that really we have not been abiding at all and we need the Lord. The more life-giving that is for us, the more we realize we should have been doing this the whole time. It might be hard, but your main concern during this is to allow the Lord, right? Like, 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 like just, just go, Lord, I know you have created me a certain way, and I just need to live in light of that and in keeping with that. And sometimes these disciplines help us to remember. It's not always easy to do. It's simple, but not easy to do. But it can have an incredible transforming impact now here's funny is is like i've reconnected with a couple of friends during the pandemic i got a, a text this morning from a friend he said i want you to know that i'm praying for you today and that the lord would speak through you clearly or something like that you know, i'm not going to read it because it'd take me too long with the face id and the mic and whatever else once you get that once you hear that one thing you go <sighs> Right? I mean, it's like, I'm ready to take on the world. Let's do it. And for those of you who don't like encouragement, because there's some of you here who act like it's not a big deal, you're like, oh, I hate hearing about me, right? For those of you who feel that way, my encouragement to you is to, is to go receive it and also ask the Lord what maybe your frustration in receiving it really is. Why do you get bothered hearing people encourage you? Jesus spoke life to us, and he breathed life to us. He gave life to us when we had great need. So, our speech should reflect our Lord. I look forward to hearing what happens and how it works and what comes of the next week and how you use it to speak life. Not easy, but simple. And it'll change you, and by God's grace, it'll change others to realize that living in this way is much better than living two-faced. Much better.